Chapter 7 Liam woke in the darkness to a hand over his mouth and breath by his ear. He froze, taking the deepest breath he could in the process. Getting shoved into icy water and held down was the sort of experience that left you on edge for the rest of your life, apparently. His eyes flicked sideways and he saw the faint glint of the lights on sleet care. Get up, Victoria said quietly. Come with me. Curious, Liam sat up in the darkness and padded after her, pulling his shirt on as he went. In the hallway, squinting against the light, he saw her look him up and down curiously. No shoes? She asked him. Oh. After life on a farm, it usually didn't occur to him to put them on. Do I need any? Probably not. I was just surprised. She lifted one shoulder. You forget to wear shoes on a ship, you might lose a foot right quick. I guess figured a farm would be the same way. When you're running equipment, yeah. When you're feeding chickens, not so much. Where are we going? The train. Can you fight on an empty stomach? She had stopped at a small kitchenette in the hallway and held a cabinet open for him. Liam blinked at her. If this was an empty stomach, he couldn't think of the last time he'd been full. He was used to rationing food carefully, eating exactly his portion of what was kept back before they sold their crops and their meat, and sometimes less if he knew his grandfather needed more food. Since he'd arrived on Seneca, he'd had more food than he knew what to do with. At first, he tried to eat all of it. He'd never been given extra just-in-case before. After a while, feeling heavy and lethargic, he'd simply tried to eat the most perishable items and carry the rest with him. He now had 17 apples in his backpack, and he didn't know what to do with them. He was beginning to think he should stop saving them, but the idea of throwing away food still made his stomach flip-flop nervously. He considered trying to say this to Victoria, and wasn't sure she would understand any of it. I don't need any food, was all he said. She only nodded, but he got the sense she approved. She set off down the corridor and he followed, feeling somewhat like a puppy trotting at her heels. Why are we training now? The dragon commanders are showing up tomorrow. She gave him a smile over her shoulder. What? I thought we had two weeks of training. Apparently not. She detoured down a side hallway and looked up in irritation at a flickering light. The training grounds for the dragons were on the outskirts of the main city, and while the building kept the wind out and the heat in, it was beginning to show its age. Can't say I'm surprised, Victoria added. This whole thing seems to be about catching us off guard. That did seem to track with his experience. Liam nodded and looked around himself as he walked. The corridors all seemed to him to be identical, long and low, with plasticky floors and light panels along the tops of the walls that hurt his eyes. How many of us will make it, do you know? She shook her head. And there's no way to know which will make it either. Each commander wants something different, and you'll never know what it is in advance. Sometimes even they don't know. That's why there are people here from so many different backgrounds. Everyone here could be a dragon, if there's a commander who needs what they have. Liam wanted to ask if there was any point in training then, but a moment later he saw the folly of the statement. The more he knew, the more chances he had to impress. Victoria pushed open a door and gave him a smile, nodding for him to go past her. If she guessed his thought process, she didn't say anything about it. He was still in the doorway when she hit him. She was going to kill him. She'd brought him here to kill him and thin the competition. That was Liam's only thought as he reeled, pain exploding through the back of his head. She had timed her strike well, and she had clearly trained with the best. She summoned a great deal of force for her build, and Lord only knew what enhancements she had. Well, fuck it. If she was going to try this, he was going to make her hurt. With a roar, Liam gathered his footing and burst back up, elbow lashing toward her head. She ducked, damnably fast, and he grabbed one of her arms and yanked her up. A headbutt sent her reeling backwards, and Liam didn't even think, not consciously. 
He pulled hard on one of the weapon's racks, and it, and its contents, came tumbling down toward her. Forced onto the defensive, she retreated, and he hurtled the mass of tumbling shelving and weapons to follow her. His tackle sent them both sprawling on the ground, and he was ready to land. His hardest punch full on her face when he froze. The muzzle of her gun was pressed into his sternum. And then, to his surprise, she smiled. She dropped the gun and managed to tumble him sideways with a quick twist of her hips. A second later, she pulled him up and pressed the gun into his hand. You're faster than I expected, and you work with your environment, that's good. But you haven't really fought with weapons before, have you? Sidearm? Knife? I'm, uh... I'm competent with a knife? But barely. Liam's head was spinning with a sudden change of pace. Okay, put the gun in your side pocket. No, safety on, good lord, it's unloaded, but you should always have good habits. Okay, and we'll try again. At some point during the fight, you need to see if you can get the gun out and on my skin before I can get it away from you, okay? Liam stared at her. You said you were worried you didn't know enough. She shrugged. I wanted to see what you could do. And you've got raw talent in spades. So let's get training, kid. The commanders will be here in a few hours. And so soon after the mission is the best time, he won't see it coming. Talon resisted the urge to slump back in his chair. For one thing, one did not slump while trying to make an impressive presentation. For another, his dress uniform was pricking at his neck if he dropped his chin so much as an inch. They'd probably designed it that way on purpose, the bastards. Alexander Soros considered this. Talon's best guess, given his prior service in the Navy, was that he was somewhere near 50, and he wore his dress uniform with the ease of someone who'd been in command behind desks for years. He'd kept himself trim, however, and he moved well. Talon would be willing to bet that he'd kept up with his weapon certifications as well. It was clear that, though he was in intelligence now, he was still Navy through and through. Talon liked that. Being overseen by intelligence kept the dragons out of much of the usual meddling by the brass, but it also meant that the people sticking their noses in on occasion had never even considered training for combat. It meant that he ended up explaining things that shouldn't need explaining. That had dropped off since Soros had taken over. I'm in, Soros said, after a moment. Eh? Talon felt the weird sensation of putting his whole weight onto pushing on a door and having it open suddenly. I'm in. Soros was smiling at him. You seem surprised, Major. I am. No point denying it. You make good points. Soros drummed his fingers on the desk. He looked out the wide window that faced one of the city squares, with its profusion of greenery and the swirl of people. Ordinary citizens. The type of person Soros and Talon spent their lives protecting, and yet never really understood. Talon had the sense that Soros wanted to say more, so he waited while the man got up and went to look out more closely. Hands linked behind his back in an at-ease position. Talon smiled. You could, indeed, take the man out of the Navy, but you never took the Navy out of a man. It's bad for my pride, of course. Soros didn't look back. His tone was rueful, a bit self-deprecating. I kept thinking the analysts could do this. Well, hoping. I run intelligence now, not a military unit. I hoped I could bring them up to speed. But clearly I was not able to... The task itself is difficult. Talon had not guessed that he would be reassuring his boss on this visit. It's possible to do everything right and still fail. Those are the types of missions dragons choose. We know that. Soros turned to look at him, his face surprisingly cold. Your reassurance, while I'm sure well-intentioned, does not change the facts. Emir is still occupied. Our best intentions are worth nothing, wouldn't you say? Results are what matter. 
You came to sit down once more, which is why I say you make good points. Clearly, what we have tried to do so far has been ineffective. He made a fist, flexed his fingers. Brown eyes looked into Talon's. So what do you need from me? I take it that instead of taking the intel we provide, you would be giving us specific queries. Talon hoped his face didn't show how lost he was. He had spent his time on a very long, detailed, and, he hoped, persuasive presentation as to exactly why intelligence and the Navy should send people on what would undoubtedly be a mission with high casualties, or total casualties. He had, in fact, expected this to take multiple meetings. He hadn't prepared a list of queries yet. Major? Soros looked almost amused. Um, Talon erupted his face. Lairds of the districts, dossiers on anyone identified to be working with a warlord, including what they do, where they live and they work, anything you can find about guard training and equipment, as well as the locations of any guard structures, information on the types of surveillance they have, a best-guess layout of the palace, including any security measures we know are guess he has in place. He caught sight of Soros's face. Is any of that problematic? No. No. Soros shook his head. It's very thorough. There's no way to know where we'll find an opening. The more information we have, the better. He'd have his team poring over everything they got, Tercy trying to hack any system the warlord had, Lazady working with the more specific questions Talon could give her after seeing what intelligence could produce. Hmm. Soros looked suddenly awkward. He took a breath and opened his mouth to speak and seemed to think better of it. Talon waited. Major, Soros said finally, I'm behind you on this. What I'm about to say does not mean I necessarily think this is a bad idea. If you decide to move forward, you will have my full support. Any resources I can provide, any access I can give, you'll have at your disposal. I hope you'll also keep me updated on any other dragon teams that might join you. However, you think it's a bad idea. Back to square one. Talon did not need Soros's permission. Dragon commanders chose their own targets and were largely answerable to no one. Neither the military nor intelligence could command a dragon crew to perform any particular mission, nor could they forbid it. It was why they were so careful about their selection, both of dragons and in those they chose to give their own teams. Right now, Talon didn't particularly need Soros to help him. He had Lysady, he had his team, and Soros's words had reminded him that he had the rest of the dragons as well. But he had hoped that Soros would be enthusiastic. Instead, he'd gotten the worst thing, initial enthusiasm and then cold feet. As I said, I don't necessarily think it's a bad idea. Soros's look said that he saw the drift of Talon's thoughts. Nor do I want to be, shall we be blunt, cowardly. Clearly, something needs to be done. But the warlord has assassinated the last person who held my job. He's been able to command 50,000 mercenary troops, no small feat. And his allies include any number of weapon smugglers, slave traffickers, and even legitimate business interests that he might persuade to join forces against you. If you get into this, I want you to know what you're up against. This was ridiculous. Did the man think Talon was unaware of the odds? That's why we don't give him a fair fight, Talon said as patiently as he could. A dragon never fights fair. Sixteen soldiers will never be able to take on infantry one-on-one. At best, we're looking at Thermopylae. More than one dragon had a tattoo of the Spartan shield, or the symbol of it on their armor, in honor of the battleground where the Spartan soldiers had stood against a Persian invasion, giving their lives and decimating a force far larger than their own. Dragons chose the same path, stacking the odds in their favor and training harder than their opponents so that they might make the most of their small numbers. 
If your team is willing to do this, Soros began, they are. Talon did not wait to hear his speech. The dragon's oath is simple. Protect the innocent. The people of Emir need us. We are their weapon. And we should have been their shield. We've failed them until now, and that has to end. Soros nodded. His eyes searched Talon's face. You make me want to give all this up again and go out in the field. We'd be lucky to have you. Talon stood up and reached across the desk to shake the man's hand. Thank you for meeting with me on short notice. Oh, it's no trouble. Soros gave a laugh. Every time selection rolls around, I've learned to clear my schedule. Most dragon commanders have something or other they want to discuss with me. Talon stopped dead. It's selection? When did that start? Today. Soros gave him a curious look. You should have received a communication about it. Hmm. Rather than explain that it was no doubt sitting neatly in the ever-increasing stack of official memos that Tercy carefully printed and he carefully ignored, Talon gave what he hoped was a non-incriminating smile. Slipped my mind. I'll, uh, I'll go grab my XO and have a look. He didn't have any openings on his team, but going would give him the chance to rub elbows with the other commanders and see who else might be interested in this mission. I really enjoy Liam and Victoria's relationship. One of the things I hope I'm portraying well is that both of them are very practical people with hard-won experience, and neither is necessarily wiser than the other, uh, age aside. I wanted very much to steer clear of the trope that there's one good way to do things, because that's not how I view the world, and that there's one good source of wisdom, because that's not how I view the world either. And so Liam's practical experience from living on a farm, from handling all of that sort of stuff, is its own type of wisdom compared to Victoria's hard-won wisdom of protecting a spaceship. Very different sources, very different conclusions sometimes, but both of them applicable. And while different stories and characters don't always align with my worldview, this is one thing that I make sure to put in every story, and it's that part of how you triumph is through the combined efforts and differing strategies of multiple people. Because that does align with my worldview, and Liam and Victoria are showing this now. And to pivot slightly, also in this chapter, we finally see Alexander Soros, and we've heard of him via Terra, Lysady, Talon. And in many ways, Soros and Talon actually share a very cohesive outlook, and in many ways they do not, which is something you can see in this chapter. Talon is focused entirely on whether or not he can pull this off. And Soros is looking further into regional instability and the different ways that the mission could go catastrophically wrong aside from Talon's crew. This focus of Soros's will unfold in ways that loop in Terra, Lazadi, Samara, a few more. And when you see the end of the chapter, Talon is off to selection where he might just wind up meeting Liam and Victoria. Possibly. Until next week. <laughs>